Welcome to the Get Real About Safety podcast. In our podcast, we discuss the new view of safety, what works and what doesn't work, to break down old paradigms and help you improve safety performance in your organization. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Pam, and we appreciate you listening. Please share and subscribe and tell others about this podcast. You can find us on most podcast platforms and also on YouTube. Hello, and welcome to the podcast this morning. Hopefully I won't start sneezing. I've been kind of affected here with the ragweed lately, and we're hoping that that gets done and we move on to cooler weather, which is where I'd like to be. So today we're going to talk about memories and problems with memories being used as evidence. In a traditional incident investigation, we tend to use a crime and punishment approach to both collecting quote, evidence, unquote, and a determining culpability. The very act of taking witness statements is akin to police work, even to the point of not trusting a witness to give you honest information. I have heard the statement many times over my career that you can't let witnesses get together or they will get their stories straight implying that they're going to come up with false information to protect themselves, which might be true depending on what kind of a culture you have. While it is also true that you want to separate witnesses to ensure that false information does not get implanted, it's not because witnesses are nefarious and deliberate in changing their stories. Instead, when witnesses talk to one another, especially in the immediate aftermath of an event, they contaminate each other's memories. People are likely to see or notice different things, even when they witness the same event. For example, we find it hard to believe that a witness could fail to see a worker who steps right in front of a piece of heavy equipment when the witness was standing nearby and looking towards the equipment, or that the worker would not see the equipment bearing down on them in time to move and get out of the way. The problem is that directing our eyes at something does not guarantee that we will consciously see it. You might want to ask yourself, what implication does this have for our telling workers that they must make eye contact with the operator before we walk in front of a machine? A better instruction might be to use hand gestures and wait until the operator responds with a gesture back rather than relying on just making eye contact. Of course, better yet is to separate pedestrians and heavy equipment operations in the first place. We think that people will see something, including ourselves, right in front of us, but in fact we're only seeing a small portion of our visual world at any given moment. There's large gaps in that visual world. I like to call them snapshots versus a videotape recording. Our previous experiences and what other people say about the event 
can cause false information to be interspersed with our actual short glimpses of memory. It helps us fill in the story to make the story make sense to us because of the fact that our visual field is not perfect and it's not like a video camera. So what we know is that people take their own version of an event and they combine it with information they get with other witnesses who also likely have faulty memories of the event. Research shows that new post-event information from another source often gets incorporated into our memory. This is because our faulty view of memory is that it's like a GoPro or files stored on a computer when it's not. In the traditional view, your brain records an accurate and complete record of events. And if you have trouble remembering, it's because you can't find the right file or because the hard drive has been corrupted in some way. In reality, once pieces of information are recorded on a computer's hard drive, they don't change one single bit over time, over years. But your own memories are totally different. Over the years, they are continuously altered and reconstructed in response to changes in your moods, other information you are told, or new experiences that you have had. It is rare to have proof of what actually happened. So in most cases, we never know how inaccurate our memories really are. In a survey that was published in 2011, 63% of respondents said they believed strongly or mostly that memory works like a video camera, accurately recording events that we see and hear so we can review and inspect them later. Whether in a court case or an accident investigation, people place more trust in witness statements than anything else. This often results in innocent people being convicted of a crime. DNA analysis from the late 1980s has revolutionized forensic science, providing a very high level of accuracy about the identity of actual perpetrators versus innocent people falsely accused of a crime. DNA testing led to the review of many settled cases. According to the Innocent Project, 358 people have been exonerated through DNA evidence. Of those, 71% have been convicted through eyewitness misidentification, has served an average of 14 years in prison before exoneration. In one study, participants watched a video of an automobile accident and then were asked some questions about what they saw. Some participants were asked how fast were the cars going when they smashed into one another, while others were asked the same question, but without the words smashed into. And those words were replaced with hit. When the participants were given a memory test pertaining to the accident a week later, those that had been asked the smashed into question were more likely to have a false memory of seeing broken glass in the film. This has great implication for doing interviews in event analysis. The interviews themselves may affect memory through the words used in their questioning. Even slight differences in the wording of a question can lead to misinformation effects. 
Subjects in one study were more likely to say yes when asked, did you see the broken headlight, rather than when asked, did you see a broken headlight? Accidents are unusual, highly stressful, and emotional events, and people believe those events should be automatically memorable. In fact, stress and terror can inhibit our memory, and memories continue to be constructed after the originating event based upon information that we learn afterwards. Remember, memory isn't a matter of looking up a fact in a mental filing cabinet. It's more like telling stories, where we forget and we invent details. It's hard to know when these are not real because memories are our reality. Memories are our truths. We invent details not from outright lying about the event, but because the invention of details may mean the story makes more sense to us or to others that we're telling it to. This is another reason why allowing people to tell their story rather than interviewing them can provide cleaner information. Even then, there's going to be errors in what people think they saw and heard, but perhaps less. But what you will learn that is most critical is you learn the context of the event to that person, right or wrong. And that context is important. For example, a worker might remember a supervisor sending the message that the job must be completed by the end of the shift, regardless. When in fact, the supervisor may have said something different. He may have said something like, we need to get this job done today, folks, but we're going to do it safely. Doesn't matter. The worker hears the part about must get this done and they interpret that. They interpret it to mean that we should do whatever we need to do, even if it's cutting corners, to get that task done. This may or may not be true from the supervisor's perspective, but it's truth to the worker. By understanding how this may happen, supervisors can be taught to use more precise language, such as, we need to be as efficient as possible to get this job done, but we'll not cut corners or fail to use our fall protection planning and equipment to get this job done. If you have any questions or suggestions about how we can make this job safer, please tell us. It's a communication problem often, and I think we're all familiar with that. Uh, we've talked in other places about people in leadership are not uh, innately capable of doing a really good job of communication. It's a skill that has to be taught. In an accident investigation, we ask investigation questions. For example, who, what, where, and when. We discover that a human broke a rule, problem solved. Punish the worker, create some new rules, go back to work. Rinse and repeat. In an event learning scenario, we ask different questions, what Todd Conklin refers to as better questions. Here are a few examples. Please see Todd, uh, his book, Better Questions, for more information. But for example, before the event, you might ask them, just describe how the job is done. What worked well? What didn't work well? Where is it easy to make a mistake? 
What is the worst thing that could happen in this process or area? Where do you have to improvise or make do? Do you have the right tools and equipment? Questions specific to the event might be something like, was there anything different before or at the time of the event? What factors led up to the event? What did you see, hear, notice, think? Where else could this happen? What else should I know about this event? But not only is it important to ask better questions, it's important to start with letting people tell the story. In other words, questions are follow-up. In the very beginning, we want to create an environment where a worker feels comfortable and free to tell their story in their own time. But using open-ended questions, like we mentioned, it creates an environment where the worker can share the event context that existed as the event unfolded around them. This helps us to understand how the actions of people involved made sense to them at the time, rather than our looking at the event in the rearview mirror and saying what people could or should have done at the time when they didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Because remember that if the worker knew the event outcome as we now know it, they may very well have done something totally different, but they didn't. They didn't know what was going to happen, and they could not have predicted it because it's very likely that they had done very similar things in the past without a bad outcome. In fact, with a successful outcome that they got praised for doing. Yes, we want to get the story from witnesses, but we then use the story to understand the context, not assuming that they are facts evidence-based facts about the incident. For more information on this subject, visit our website at prosafesolutions.com and click on the suggested reading tab. Hope you enjoyed this podcast, and remember, you may save a life today. And don't forget to be kind. We're all human, and we all make mistakes. Thanks.